What Not the Podcast, Lent Up Early Edition, April the 1st, Year of Our Lord, 2022. Uh, God's peace be with you. Uh, here's a little devotion on Isaiah 43. That's a fun text. And then a question about the message and different versions of the Bible. And uh, talk about that. So hope you enjoy it. Here's a little devotional thought. I'm looking ahead at the readings for this Sunday. The Old Testament is Isaiah 43, verses 16 to 21, which is nice to read. In fact, there's a couple of, um, the Lord is being very playful with his preaching here. Uh, and I think you'll notice that, that the Lord is, he, he can be both p- playful in a sarcastic way when the gospel's uh, I mean, when the law is being preached, but then there's a, there's a different sort of playfulness when the gospel's there. So it says, uh, thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise. They're extinguished, quenched like a wick. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. So the Lord says, okay, remember how I made a path through the Red Sea? And I also drowned all of Pharaoh's armies in doing that. This is a, a common theme in, in all the prophets and all the Old Testament, reminding the Lord's people of the exodus and the delivery that he accomplished there. He says, remember that? And then he says, now forget it. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Now that, forget what I've done in the past, that's an amazing thing for the Lord to say, because if you could just put sort of a top 10 list of themes of the Old Testament, right on that list would be, remember the Exodus, remember the Passover, remember what I've done of old. In fact, all the Psalms are like this. Oh Lord, remember what you've done, how you rescued us in the past? Well, you should rescue us now. But the Lord says, forget all that. In fact, he says in another place, both in Isaiah and Jeremiah, he says that the thing that I'm going to do is going to make you forget what I did. Because the thing that I'm going to do is going to be even greater. And that's what's happening here. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I will give water in the desert, sorry, water in the wilderness rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people, the people I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. So the old miracle was that the Lord made a dry place through the middle of the ocean. The new miracle is that the Lord makes a wet place in the middle of the desert. He makes a river, streams, water in the middle of the deserted places. It's the, it's the opposite miracle. That, that these uh, garden paths in the desert are contrasted with the desert path made through the ocean. And this is the picture of the New Testament. In fact, this, uh, this contrast of the desert versus the garden is the language that the Holy Spirit gives to Isaiah over and over and over to speak of the New Testament church, which is growing around the uh, the life-giving water of God's word. And Jesus picks up on this theme when he says, out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. And he was speaking, this is John 7, he was speaking of the spirit 
who would be given, poured out when he ascended into heaven. And so the Christian church, the Christian heart, the Christian home, uh, the Christian mind sanctified by the Lord's word is a garden in the midst of the wilderness of this world. And it gives us life and hope and peace. So the Lord says here, forget about all the old stuff. Forget about the path, forget about the little path of wilderness I made in the sea and consider now the glorious work of the, of the garden with fountains and rivers that I build in your own heart in the midst of this desolate world. It's really, it's really quite beautiful. It reminds me to finish up of, uh, an old, there was maybe an old movie. I just saw a clip of it, but it was a old movie about Jesus and it had the cross of Jesus and his blood was flowing down and it flowed down through the dirt. And as the blood of Jesus flowed, flowers were springing up from the dry ground. That's the picture here. This, um, this return to the garden that's accomplished by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. So may these verses, Isaiah 43, uh, give you joy. Take a look at them. Show that to your family and to your kids later as well. It's a really beautiful pa- uh, passage. Isaiah 43, 16 to 21. Here's a question from Joanne about the message version of the Bible. Uh, she writes, every time someone cites the message, I'm completely turned off and feel like I'm listening not to a different interpretation, but an entirely different version of the Bible, trying to be young and cool and missing the message. I can read ESV, KJV, NKJV, NIV, and while I can compare the differences, I still feel as though I'm reading the Bible. I have such disdain for the message, you know, simply being snotty, or do others feel the same? Thanks, Joanne, for the question. Others feel the same. Uh, I so let's just take a take this as an opportunity to talk about the different versions of the Bible. There's basically sort of two axes that we can plot on, or two variables. And so one is a theology or mm, a philosophy of translation, and the other is the text that is being translated. Okay, so. Uh, there's different, uh, you know, the, the Holy Spirit inspired the prophets to write in Hebrew, a little bit of Arabic, and uh, that's Brandy leaving the office. She needs her, t- her toenails clipped. Uh, and uh, I don't know if you guys could hear that, actually. If you could hear that, that was what that sound was. Um, so... Uh, uh, you, oh yeah. So, and the New Testament was inspired by the Holy Spirit to be written in Greek, coin common Greek, Koine Greek, the language of the whole empire. And so, th- this is what we have. And to get it into our language, if we don't know those languages, we have to translate it, of course. And there's different um, philosophies of translation. The uh, Hebrew and Greek have different grammatical structures from each other and from English and every other language. And uh, interpretation has also this problem, is that there's often not a one-to-one equivalent uh, for the words that are in Greek and the words that are in English. Although I think we have a, uh, an advantage in English 
because so many of our words are derived from Greek words. But even the meaning of words kind of shift. And, you know, one word in English might have a multiple uh, meanings and a, and a huge range of meaning. And a word in Greek has another big range of meaning. And they don't overlap one to one. And so every interpretation, every translation is an interpretation. Uh, this is why the Missouri Synod, one of the few churches, but we still insist on training pastors in both Greek and Hebrew so that they have the tools to go back to the original text that's inspired. We do not confess an inspired translation like some do uh, in the King James only camp and so forth and so on. So there's different philosophies of uh, translation and you have the very strict uh, trying to be as equivalent as you can with the words and that would be probably the most would be the NASB, the New American Standard Bible, uh, which is kind of stretching the bounds of English grammar to capture the word order of the Greek and Hebrew. And you know, the King James does the same thing. I think the King James, it was a real gift that the King James was still in the time when English was a lot more flexible. And they were really flexing the English to wrap around the Greek and the Hebrew. Uh, if you go and you read the King James it, in a context of what was being written at the same time, or even, here's an interesting thing. If you go back and read the preface to the King James Bible, you're like, hey, this sounds kind of normal. And then you start reading the Bible and it's kind of tough. I, I've found that the reason why the King James is tough is not because it's old English, but because it's bad English, because they're stretching the English to try to capture what was going on in the Greek and the Hebrew. Now, there's some problems. I mean, I, I've come across some places where I've compared the translation to the King James to the to the Greek, and they just didn't they didn't capture it. Um, but but a lot of times when I'm when I'm looking at the English and I'm like I just can't understand what this is saying, and then I'll look at the Greek and I'll say, oh, I can't understand what that's saying either. <laughs> so the ignorance is not over the English. The ignorance is over. It's because the 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 idea that's being taught in the Bible is difficult. Anyhow, anyhow. So you have the King James and you have the NASB, and then you have a a little bit more dynamic, but still kind of word-for-word -word translation, and that would get you to the ESV, English Standard Version, and um, uh, probably the New King James Version. It's trying to tighten up. It's trying to loosen up a little bit the King James. It's not just a update of the King James. It's a new translation, but kind of following along. I think the RSV, Revised Standard Version, hangs in over there, although they're trying to be in the RSV, you see a little bit of the critical spirit being introduced uh, into the into the translation. And then you go into the sort of dynamic equivalent, and that's where you get to something like the NIV. It's not interested in translating the words, but rather the phrases, which means that for devotional reading, the NIV might be okay, but not for study. Because you just can't be sure that the word that you're looking at on the English page is in the Greek text. One of the nice things that the King James does, and the New King James follows this custom as well, is that if they have to add English words, 
to capture the sense of the Hebrew or Greek, they'll put those words in italic to tell you they've added the words. Neither Greek or especially Hebrew needs, for example, the verb is. So a lot of times you'll have a sentence without a verb, and so and so you have to add the verb, or you have to add a couple of words to supply the sense in English. And those King James and New King James will help you out by italicizing that. In the NIV, they're adding words all the time because they're interested in capturing the idea. So, for example, in the Old Testament, it'll say, Lord of hosts, uh, Yahweh Sabaoth. And the NIV will translate that, God Almighty, Lord Almighty. So it takes the, the, the concrete term of hosts and it makes it an abstraction, Almighty. And that's kind of everywhere. So if you can avoid the NIV, a lot of people really like it. A lot of people have used it for memory verses. I, I would, if you can avoid it, I would. I wouldn't just have the NIV. It's not sufficient. And God be praised, we have so many Bibles available. Um, then you get, it's kind of stepping one step over, you start to get into the paraphrases. And these are uh, interpretation, like obvious interpretations. And the message is one of those. It's a paraphrase. So it's a it's a guy's looking at the original Greek and Hebrew and English, I suppose, and and trying to preach it out, trying to really capture the sense as it captures him. Uh, I have not interacted much with the uh, with the message, although I got to, a chance to have dinner with Eugene Peterson. In fact, the Doxology Collegium went up there and and interviewed him. It's really he's a really interesting character, Eugene Peterson. Um, he, he how he was really he, he was really good in what he was against. He could see the problems with the prosperity gospel. He could see the problems with big box evangelicalism. He could see the problems with um, with pastors uh, uh, becoming CEOs and not caring for people. Um, so he was he was great at identifying what was wrong, but he couldn't get to what was right. If you want my, after spending a day with him, if you want my evaluation, spiritually or theologically is that because he did not have the doctrine of the sacraments, he was trying to recreate the efficacy of the word through the closest human equivalent, which is poetry, which meant that he was giving attention to the word, which is good, but but he was not sure that the word itself had power, and so he was trying to, to almost infuse the, the efficacy into the word through poetic expression. And so his attempts to to express the Bible in particularly emotive and beautiful um, ways or sort of plain but poetic expression uh, was was the result of that theological deficiency. And I think that's probably what you're sensing when you read the message. It's that this is trying too hard. And I think it was. I think it was. Um, he, by the way, we talked about the message quite a bit, and I figured, having read some other things by him, like his uh, kind of pastoral uh, reflections on the prophet Jeremiah, which is pretty good, or the five smooth stones of pastoral care, which is pretty good, 
I thought that he would be a little bit embarrassed about the message, but he wasn't. He was proud of it. So I was wrong in that guess there. Uh, so it's fine to avoid it. There's no need to to um, uh, to use it or to study it, and there's probably no need to preach from it. I, I wouldn't begrudge someone uh, looking to see how Eugene Peterson tries to capture the ideas of the message, but it's got to be a supplement. It's it's in some ways it's like reading a commentary, and so you're going to read a very concise poetic commentary of a somewhat well not somewhat of a progressive uh presbyterian who loves the bible but is also good friends with bono <laughs> and so so that's what you're reading when you read the message uh and so you can take it um for what it is so hope that's helpful it's a great question hopefully the this kind of um survey of the of the bible interpretations is helpful as well Well, thanks for being part of the fun here, What Not the Podcast. You can send in your messages at wolfmuller.co slash contact or leave a message, which is better. But all you guys are nervous to do it. Look, if it's bad, I won't use it. So just give it a shot. You can go to wolfmuller.co, hit the What Not Podcast. There's a button. Click here to record. That'll be cool. Uh, also, there's another podcast. If you've got teenagers hanging around, the... Um, uh, the Drive to School podcast by Higher Things started last week. I wanted to do that, actually, uh, but I couldn't figure out how to make it happen. So Harrison Goodman, the Higher Things content guy, he took it up. A couple days ago, I was on there talking about the question, hey, um, why can't the church love my friend who's gay? And we said, well, we got to love. We don't have the option to not love. This is the deal. God is love. We, we got to love. But the question is, what does love look like? And all these various circumstances. So that was fun. So if you have uh, high school kids, the Drive to School podcast is for you. You can find that on iTunes or wherever. Uh, that's kind of cool. Uh, also, hopefully you're making plans to join me at the Issues Etc. conference this summer, June 25th. Also, that'll be cool. Uh, and uh, I found out from Roy Askins, editor at the Lutheran Witness, that I'd written an article on ghosts. Uh, in fact, one day in Denmark, I was jet lagged and I couldn't get to sleep. It's like one in the morning. And I said, well, what better, you know, in Denmark, remember the Macbeth, right? The, the ghost. <laughs> There's something rotten in this. So I said, I better write about ghosts while I'm here in Denmark. So, uh, so up one night late in the middle of the night, wrote an article about ghosts. That was just published yesterday, I think. Myth-busting ghost stories. I talk about how we do believe in ghosts. We just don't believe that they're hanging around on the earth. But what are all the specters that people see? And Luther thought, well, there's a demons. In fact, uh, that's a common Lutheran explanation. And especially Chemnitz gets into it because he, he traces how the doctrine of purgatory was taught by ghosts to all these guys. <laughs> it's amazing. So anyway, that's there for you as well. I uh, hope you have a great day. God's peace be with you.